Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Hover.com, who provide domain names for your ideas and emails for your domain names. We use Hover. You'll get 10% off of your first purchase when you use the promo code CANADALAND. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it is included with your Squarespace website. Start your free trial today. Use the offer code CANADALAND. When you go to squarespace.com, you'll get 10% off your first purchase. The British are coming. The Americans are invading too. It's the BBC, The Guardian, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg. All of them are putting more resources into Canada at the exact same time the Canadian media is cutting back like never before. The protectionist policies that prevented these massive companies from moving in on Canada in the past do not apply on the internet. The Canadian news market is now anyone's to win. Guys, this is the boogeyman come to life. This is the existential dread that the Canadian news business, maybe Canadian media as a whole, has been built on. The fear that without a finger on the scale, we'll just be overwhelmed by foreign culture, foreign voices, foreign coverage, and our flimsy national identity will be robbed from us overnight. I'm not so sure. 
but I have questions. In a moment, I'll be joined by the head of the BBC's new Canadian bureau, Jessica Murphy, and the New York Times longtime Canada correspondent, Ian Austin. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Brian Schumacher, Sandra Wiebe, Terry Coles, Leo McKay, Marcus Miller, Luke Hartung, Jordan Smith, and Sam Pinto. Sam, why did you decide to be awesome? Because Canada Land keeps me entertained on my walk to school. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away, but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by Hover.com, the best place to go for domains or for emails associated with those domains. If you have a great idea, you should just go and claim the best domains for that idea available right now. I wish I had done that. CanadaLand.com, it's taken. The guy who's got it wants a fortune from me. I have CanadaLandShow.com. Thanks to Hover, I have CanadaLand.News, which I can live with. You can get a .taxi, a .limo. You can get a .pizza. Hover is there for people and companies with ideas, companies like WorkerBee, a startup from here in Toronto that works with independent artists to make inspirational prints that you will actually want to hang on your wall. To learn about WorkerBee and Hover, you want to actually go and have a look at these prints. They're very cool. You can check it out at hover.com slash WorkerBee. And when you're ready to find a domain name for your big idea, use the promo code CanadaLand at hover.com's checkout. You'll get 10% off. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. You will need a web Website to go with that domain, and Squarespace is a wonderful solution, a quick and easy solution for building that website in a fun way where you are just adding your information and images to a beautifully pre-designed template. 
This is great for landing pages, galleries, professional blogs, online stores, e-commerce sites, whatever you need. Squarespace has you covered, and it doesn't end when you build the site because their customer support is excellent. 24-7 customer support, and every member of their customer care team is an experienced Squarespace user who works at Squarespace's offices. Your question might be technical and might be trivial. They will work with you and solve it with you whenever you need them. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and use the offer code CANADALAND to get 10% off of your first purchase. I'm Ian Austin. I'm the Canada correspondent for the New York Times. I'm Jessica Murphy. I'm news editor for BBC Canada. Do you guys report on Canada for other people or do you report on Canada for other people and Canadians? Uh, well, the general rule here is that I don't do anything about Canada that wouldn't stand in the general um, news report. So I guess I report I report about Canada for Canadians, but that's not how I write my stories, if that makes any sense. You imagine a New York Times reader. There are many Canadians among them, but that's not who you're thinking of. Yes, yeah, some fictional global reader. Jessica, how about you? Uh, we may be picturing the same fictional global reader, Ian. I, I, I guess, I mean, it's a bit of both. Obviously, you know Canadians are going to read your story. I know Canadians are going to read what we're producing out of the BBC here in Canada, here in Toronto. But I also know that it's going ha- to reach everywhere. And so I think of how can we explain the story in a way that they understand it and, and hopefully give, give a spin to, to something that we're covering here in Canada that they won't read necessarily in their domestic papers. So I want to return to the level to which Canadians actually are reading your stories, because I know that they are, and I know that that's becoming increasingly important to your companies. But first, let's just talk about your beat. Your beat is Canada, and I think it's kind of become a hot beat. Is that, is that like a typical Canadian flattering myself because there's been some memes, or, or is Canada having a moment in the global press? Oh, no, no. I mean, you're completely right about that. And, and you know, we know the source. It's the prime minister. Uh, he's... Uh, uh, the first Canadian prime minister who's a global celebrity, I guess, since his father. I think that's fair. I think I think it is having a moment. I know, I know certainly the BBC has been looking at coming to Canada for a long time. The case to, to come here, the sort of the market case and so on, was made relatively recently. But it's something that they were looking at for a while. Both of your organizations are investing in amping up their, their Canada presence. Well, of course, for us, it's it's sort of a return. I mean, it, there have been points in time where there were upwards of three correspondents based in Canada. Uh, I'm not so – I mean, some reports said we were building a newsroom here. That's not the case. We're doing more coverage of Canada that may involve a small amount of hiring, doing more – having Canadians write more opinion pieces for the opinion side of the paper. But I don't work for that department, so I don't really know what's going on upstairs. Uh, but, you know, we've been investing in sending more writers up here, including specialist writers like critics, science writers, and so on. So, yes, it's, it's a big, you know, it's a big push on here in Canada right now. And for the BBC? We've certainly opened a bureau. We opened a bureau here in Toronto, and there's three of us there. There's me and uh, my colleagues, Robin Levinson-King and Dan Litwin. So we are, they did, you know, they did hire, they did increase their presence here, um, knowing, again, both that, that people were reading stuff coming out of Canada. So whenever they did have a story 
that was coming out of Canada, they noticed that it did well. And it's not just you guys. Uh, Wall Street Journal seems to be amping up. Uh, Guardian did their Canada Week, and there's some of the best coverage I've been reading and, and stuff you don't read anywhere else about Canada you'll read in The Guardian. Who else? I mean, this comes after uh, Vice, of course, opened up here and, and BuzzFeed opened up and then sort of retrenched their journalism. Are you noticing this en masse? Like, I, it seems to me that international news is, is starting to really move in. Well, I, I've certainly noticed the same press releases and so on that you have, and I've noticed colleagues coming in or getting hired by by some of these companies. So, yeah, I, I don't think you're imagining it for sure. There's there's a beefed up press, and I think Bloomberg also uh, had opened their TV channel here too. Of course, so that would Bloomberg, be another yeah. one. Um, so there is an increased uh, interest in in covering Canada, and obviously, it seems that there's a market for it. Well, I think in our case, it's it's part of, as, as you may have seen, we have a thing called NYT Global, where we're starting out with both Canada and Australia. And there's a commercial consideration here, not that we in the news department are supposed to think much about commercial considerations. And it's pr- quite simply, we've gone over a million digital subscribers, uh, most of them American. There's some thought that the American market's tapped out and we have to expand in other markets. And Canada was by far our largest source of non-American digital subscribers. And that was based on us doing, well, pretty much nothing other than, you know, Canadian coverage by me. But no marketing, no promotion, no real effort to get Canadians to pay money to read the New York Times. I think that, you know, here we can kind of get into it. It's a confluence of these factors. Yes, the international audience might be more interested in Canada than ever. And you've got the Justin Trudeau boost. And maybe there are other things that people are finding interesting about Canada. So you can serve the pre-existing BBC and New York Times audience with their appetite for more Canada coverage. But what I've been exploring and wondering about aloud on the show for some time is, are we seeing a really big shift in the Canadian media that might actually illustrate like what's it going to be like 10 years from now? We're having such market failure of our own news organizations and the protectionist schemes that were in place to stop international news sources from setting up shop in Canada do not exist on the internet. So I am wondering, and I and I, I feel like there's some truth to this, that that uh, your parent companies see an opportunity here to, to basically provide to Canadians what they're not getting enough of from Canadian news organizations. Is there, what's your sense on that? That, that, that makes sense to me. It must make some sense to New York Times Global. Yeah, I think I think though that what we see ourselves providing Canadians with is uh, not being a primary source of Canadian news. I mean, although I mean, to your point, I mean, we've seen the the massive retrenchments at Rogers. I mean, McLean's being turned into a monthly. Uh, the disastrous financial state of Post Media, and, and I think John Hondricks just made some remarks about the whole sort of collapse of the Canadian news media industry. I think for us, though, and for everybody, one of the issues is that the when it comes to Canadian news, your old employer, the CBC, has vast resources, which none of us can, you know, hope to approach. I mean, there's probably a CBC, well, I know there's a CBC reporter in Taktoyaktak. So for us to try and take on the CBC and online news seems foolhardy. And I, I think, you know, The Guardian provides a sobering example. It's, a, it's attempt to become a primary news source of American news for Americans was financially ruinous for it. For it, I think it was popular with readers, but it uh, it's uh, you know put the company itself in jeopardy now. I don't necessarily see us as as competing with with Canadian media head on. Again, I mean, you know, as Ian noted, a lot of news organizations have reporters 
across the country doing going way more into beats and so on that that a team of three in Toronto couldn't you know we can't match them on that you know news to news day to day coverage. So I don't, yeah, I don't necessarily see it as being that direct competition. It's just providing a deeper point of view to what they perhaps had been getting before on Canada. And we're already coming to the BBC Four. I mean, I hear you. And it's worth exploring that nobody who's coming into Canada of all these companies has expressed the slightest interest in regional coverage, which is dissolving throughout this country, not just because of post-media, but CBC, even with their renewed resources, has not renewed their interest in regional coverage or or making up any of the of the regional outposts or, or those, those jobs that they lost during, during the cutbacks. But I'm not shocked to hear that the BBC is not going to be putting reporters in the North. I'm not shocked to hear that the New York Times is, is not going to have any kind of permanent presence in Winnipeg. What I am noticing is, you know, you've got in your Canadian newsreader, a sophisticated newsreader with a global appetite anyhow. And they're reading, the, you know, the, I think that, that, that what brought the New York Times into Canada is that you notice that you're getting Canadian readers. There's a significant amount of Canadian subscribers to, to your paywalled service. So uh, BBC must have been doing the same kind of traffic analysis. And you say, well, we got these people anyhow. We have a really strong international news product. If we gave them some of coverage of what's going on in their own country – and maybe you guys have figured out some of the economic models, I'm thinking specifically of you guys at the Times, Ian, that uh, seem to be uh, vexing Canadian companies. Of course it's competition. No one is suggesting that you're going to come in and be the sole – I mean, nobody thinks like that anymore. There is no such thing as anybody getting their news from one single source. But, Ian, you guys are coming in to, to eat some of the lunch of these failing Canadian companies. I mean, I know you can't speak for the New York Times business ambitions, but that seems to be like the writing is on the wall there. Well, I, you know, yes. I mean, I, I, I mean, I think it's fair to say that people have a finite budget when it comes to to buying news, and 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 the company, I assume, wants to to have a chunk of that. And you know, I would say, and and I'm sure it applies to the BBC too. Uh, you know, I, I not to sound immodest, but there have been times when I've been able to take stories that the Canadian media largely ignored, sometimes big stories, sometimes just interesting stories, and and develop them beyond what people found in the Canadian press. I think the other thing we can do that Canadian media doesn't, and I mean, we have this problem in reverse when it comes to the American presidential campaign, is sometimes issues are covered in excessive detail for a lot of Canadian readers, or assume that the reader has been reading every installment of, you know, some complex issue. Uh, because I'm writing for a global audience, I also probably provide a service to Canadian readers who don't track things in such infinite detail or who aren't maybe knowledgeable about some political intrigue. You know, I do like when it's a big event, I do one or two stories. I'm I'm not under pressure to every day or, or twice a day for the website to, to generate you know, every incremental detail. I've, I've, you know, I've got the advantage of cherry picking big stories, interesting stories, and, and being able to step back and explain them in a way that a, a Canadian reporter doesn't have that opportunity. It seems like both of you are, in a sense, looking at everything that is happening in Canada and picking, well, here's the, the, the big story today that might appeal to this global audience, which is not to cast you guys as simple aggregators. I think there is an opportunity to evolve those stories, as you say, Ian, and uh, dig further and do some original reporting that that builds on the work of what's coming out of the Canadian media. Is that is that a fair way of characterizing the job? Partly, but my job isn't just news, right? I do a lot of what we call enterprise. And, and you know, some of those stories, they're not – 
Well, sometimes I think there are stories that should have been bigger in Canada. I was up in Thunder Bay to do a piece about the uh, the coroner's inquest into the, the high school students who came down from reserves and died. A story that it didn't get a whole lot of attention in the Canadian media and did surprisingly well online with our site. And sometimes they're just like interesting stories. I mean, I did a big piece for Sunday Business about the um, – bizarre world of the Quebec, Quebec Maple Syrup Federation seizing maple syrup farmers' crops and planting spies in their sugar bushes and things. I mean, that too, even the French language media in Quebec hadn't received much attention and that did enormously well. I mean, but as you say, we're, we're both very lucky because we can, can cherry pick both from the important and also from, you know, the interesting. I agree with that. And because there are so many of these these interesting stories going on in Canada and interesting people uh, doing things that, uh, you know, I think sometimes with the day-to-day grind that, that you have in a lot of newsrooms, they don't always have the time to run after what they find intriguing or fun or interesting. And and what we definitely hope to develop at the BBC, because as you know, we're very new, um, is that kind of thing to run after those stories that sometimes, you know, go small to go big, if that makes sense. Right. You can, I mean, you don't have the burden of responsibility of uh, a Globe and Mail or a CBC to tell everybody what happened in Ottawa today. Uh, the question that you're, that the BBC is asking of you is like, well, did anything happen in Canada that our, that our audience might find interesting? And it probably is something the Canadians would find interesting as well. Interesting and important too. I mean, there's a, times when you'll cover those big stories because you have to, because it's important. But yeah, that, that also that ability to play into, as Ian said, go and see what's happening with Quebec maple syrup and and realize that there's a really great little story there that hasn't gotten that hasn't been getting attention and having the freedom to do that. Let me cut to the heart of the issue at hand here because it's there there is of course like you guys know that there is this big national conversation that's happening now and heritage looking into it that there the news is in crisis and and there's this cry for survival and you guys certain people who are have their hands out to the government are looking at you guys as these foreign interlopers and we're just going to be washed over uh, and be colonized as uh you know th- th- these foreign news services are going to come in and step in and steal the market and that's why these uh, uh domestic companies need this government assistance i don't see it that way i think that the more serious journalists who are have the job of covering canada that like how could that not be better so i don't i don't see this as just like uh some sort of xenophobic you you know, crusade against the New York Times, BBC, and everybody else coming in. However, by your own description, the meat and potatoes of the local reporting, which filters up to this, well, what's the big take today? I mean, you guys, you guys rely on an existing Canadian news media to be reporting these things. It doesn't seem to me like there's a replacement there. Like, and, and, and in fact, on any given day, if you guys are all looking at like, what is the most interesting and important Canadian story, you guys might be all covering the same story. Well, I mean, you know, obviously Canada needs its own domestic news sources. I don't think there's any question of that. I mean, we, we have no pretense of being a substitute for that. Yet, I mean, I always find it sort of almost embarrassing the number of times that Canadian news outlets pick up my stories from the New York Times news service. I mean, stories about their own communities. One of the oddest ones was I did a piece about how people in Toronto really didn't want the Pan Am Games just before they started. And it ran on the front of the Globe and Mail's sports section. And, you know, it had quotes in it. Quotes in it. I'd interviewed people like two blocks from the Globe and Mail's offices. I mean, you know, that's just sort of odd. 
And, you know, unfortunately, I think, you know, there's been a lot, there's a lot of interesting efforts. Well, not a lot. There are a number of interesting efforts in the country to try and deal with this. But, you know, I mean, the Taiyi does a lot of interesting stuff, but it's not a substitute for a newspaper or the CBC or something like that when it comes to general news. I mean, you, you, um, you can be challenged, you can find things interesting in the Taiyi, but you're not going to be fully informed if that's all you read about British Columbia. Think of yourself as a news consumer, right? I mean, you do have to have the basics from the basics from traffic to weather and all of that stuff. Um, you'll want to know what goes on in your local community. You'll want to go on, you know, what goes on, you know, provincially, politically, federally, politically, municipally, politically, and and interesting things that are going on in, in your neighborhood and so on like that and things like that. So you are going to need your local coverage. You're going to need the papers like the, you're going to, you know, the Globe Mail and the CBC and the National Post and whoever who are covering Canada more broadly. Um, so I think we come in and we're adding something to what people elsewhere may read, and we're bringing, we're hopefully offering something to Canadians who are already coming to our website. But again, you're not getting rid of the domestic media by bringing in these companies. I don't see how that could be. Well, just to just to take that position, uh, the New York Times is going to make money in Canada by selling online subscriptions. That's the model. Uh, your news consumer. I don't think you've got that many people who do multiple paywall subscriptions. I think the New York Times overall is a better product than the Globe and Mail. I think if the New York Times has better Canada coverage, they could steal a lot of subscriptions from the Globe and Mail. I think that that could put a lot of pressure on the Globe and Mail, which is already facing a ton of pressure. And I think that the BBC has a terrific news service, terrific radio service. I think that there might be a vulnerable CBC listener. And if there was more Canada coverage on their BBC, you know, and that was available online in a way that it hasn't been in the past, of course you're in a position where you might be stealing ears from the CBC. Of course you guys are competitors. Uh, I don't know that you're going to drive these other services into the ground. But, I mean, we can we can agree on that, I think. No? Yeah. Well, I, I think, Jesse, I, I mean, where I would sort of take exception to this is I think where we compete are things like Science Times and cooking. A lot of why people already subscribe to the New York Times in Canada isn't necessarily even for our news report. It's for other things that we have in the paper that aren't, aren't news. And, you know, you mentioned at the outset but BuzzFeed, um, they found, I mean, the reason that they've kind of retrenched is that, in fact, Canadians, they didn't actually gain traffic by adding more Canadian, didn't gain Canadian traffic with more Canadian content. Canadians went to BuzzFeed to go to BuzzFeed. I mean, I think there's like, you're never, you're unlikely to see, I and mean, certainly in this current expansion, we're not going to have nytimes.ca. And part of that too is economic. Uh, you know, I figure that every reporter we hire, we need 500 new subscribers just to pay the cost of that reporter. But I, I would like to think my story is, is very different than, uh, uh, you know, what you'd read in The Globe. How, how is your story different than what's in The Globe, by the way? I, I just wonder how you see the, the distinction. I would like to think that our stories provide more context, step back a bit, uh, are maybe a bit more analytical than what you read in The Globe and, and more explanatory. I think that those would be the, the biggest differences. And, you know, The Times does sort of uh, – while I – always refer to myself as a reporter, not a writer. I mean, we we do like a certain elegance or the editors like a certain elegance in writing that we sometimes, sometimes is lacking in the Canadian reports. I want to see you and the Globe Mail get into an elegance battle. That's that's what I want to see. I want the great news, news wars uh, this year to be all about elegance. 
Yeah, well, you know, it's it's you know, it's nice it's nice to have a good read, right? You want the story to be a good read. Presentation's important to people. I hear you. Um, and 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 readers have you know Canadian readers have repeatedly said to me that they think and, and you know I mean maybe I'm flattering myself. I try to be more straight up in my stories. I don't you know I, I, the Canadian press is somewhere in between the European press and the American press in that it it gets into crusades on issues. Not that the issues are unworthy or anything, but sometimes it's their crusades verge on the political. I mean you know whereas I. If I don't do it, the editors are going to make me do it. I always have to step back and say, well, you know, there's this and that. I mean, you don't want to get into the, you know, the uh, Liebling's great joke, that Japanese word for on the one hand, on the other hand, journalism. But, um, you know, we try to keep a distance uh, that that sometimes is missing in some some Canadian news stories. Jessica, what do you find is the hardest thing about Canada to explain to the BBC's audience? I think the size of the country. Part of what makes Canada difficult to cover is the, the sheer size of the country. I do think um, it is explaining the context of Canada to the world that we're not, you know, when you ask people, and I've seen polls, I remember did a series of stories a few years ago where the Canadian government was polling um, a bunch of other countries because they want to expand into the food markets there. And they would go and they would have focus groups, what have you, and they would ask, you know, what do you know about Canada? What do you know about the food? And they would say, well, it's big, it's clean, and they have maple syrup. And it didn't have that necessarily, that that context that Canada has. We're a big country. We have a lot of really interesting people. We have people who have regional differences. We have two languages. Um, we have people who speak way more than two languages because we're a country of immigrants. And so sometimes it's it's explaining that that we are not that cartoon that I think sometimes people do still see us as. Cleanness and progressiveness does not good news make uh, or interesting news. And it's not necessarily accurate when you're talking about Canada. So we're involved in uh, finally a national conversation about reconciliation with indigenous people. We are involved in the full-scale exploitation of our natural resources and the environmental consequences thereof. Is there uh, an appetite for for the the darker side of Canada or do people just want to kind of that that maple washed vision of us that uh, I think, you know, Trudeau is kind of put on steroids? Oh, no, no. I mean, you know, any story that gives a turn, right, is a good story. You know, I mean, anything that anything that challenges uh, um, preconceived stereotypes is a great story. That that's, you know, my those are my dream stories. (laughs) Uh, Although, you know, the. The subjects of them may not necessarily like them. I mean, Rob Ford being the ultimate extension of this, right? I mean, there was enormous appetite for the Rob Ford story, enormous appetite. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, to, to Jessica's point, I think that one of the, the things that's difficult when you're covering Canada is to get across the idea that Canada is much less – it's not just the size, which, as she points out, is important, but it's it's a very uncohesive society. It, you know, from its beginning, it was a, a federation of provinces. It's not a union. It's not the United Provinces of Canada. And that regional differences are a very powerful force in Canada and regional resentments. I mean, you know, I – I always say the only thing that unites Canada Canadians is their hatred of Toronto if they don't live there. <laughs> and also the Canadian political system. Uh, although it was interesting when Harper famously prorogued Parliament for the first time, the people who seemed most outraged and shocked sure. were people in the United States because they couldn't believe that 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 you know what they viewed as the executive branch, which is I know correct, um, could just shut down the legislative branch like that. Like to Americans that 
that whole proroguing thing was just like from the moon. It was just bizarre. You'd have militias, yeah. When you look at the traffic, is is it just like the the Justin Trudeau shirtless moments, or is there anything that you're like, wow, I can't believe that one got got so much attention? Um, well, the one thing that did surprise me is I did a piece on uh, the royal visit uh, and and the. Taking a look at it from the First Nations angle and the fact that their visit did highlight some of the issues that First Nations had here in Canada when it came to reconciliation. And that did really well, and I didn't think it would. So that on that front, it surprised me because it was a bit more of a difficult issue. And it wasn't, again, when we're talking about some of the lighter coverage, you know, photos of the royals is going to be popular wherever you are. But taking that sort of deeper look and, and a slightly different look at it touching on things that were slightly uncomfortable, uh, certainly for Canada and Canadian society, and to have it do well, I thought was was great. And it actually speaks to what Ian was saying, his story on Thunder Bay and the inquest up there doing really well, which which I'm happy to hear, but it, it does surprise me a little. Let me get you guys on the record about a future projection here. I know in news, you're much more comfortable talking about what just recently happened as opposed to what's going to happen in the future. But I mean, this is the concern. Uh, five years from now, uh, maybe sooner, What's the likelihood that it's going to be BBC Canada, New York Times Canada, Guardian Canada, Wall Street Journal Canada, Bloomberg Canada, and the CBC? And that's pretty much what we're talking about that's left after the current carnage. Well, that's like asking me about the future of the news industry in the general world generally. And if I knew the answer to that, I might be the chief executive officer of the New York Times company, not a correspondent. I, I, I you know, I, I just... Uh, I have to dodge the question because I just – I don't know what's happening with news in general. I, I wouldn't even predict what the future of the New York Times in general is five years from now, let alone in Canada. It's We're in a – the industry is in a very perilous time now as you, you, know, as you constantly illuminate on, on your, your podcasts. I don't, anyone who tells you they know what's happening is, is either a fool or a liar. But like if I had to place a bet on whether it's going to be who's going to figure out how to turn a newspaper around, is it going to be the Toronto Star or the New York Times? I'd put my money on the Times. Yeah, I mean, I think the time, you know, I'm more confident of the time survival, uh, you know, that's for sure than 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 the star in the current iteration. But how that shakes out in the Canadian domestic market, that's a that's a tough one, tough one to answer. And, you know, we can't even though, as you rightly point out, the CBC is diminished from its glory days. When you look at the web traffic it generates, it is a very powerful news force in the country, despite its flaws, despite its cutbacks. I didn't bring my crystal ball either. Uh, so I, I don't have that answer. I don't have that answer. Um, I wish I did. And I, I hope I'm, I'm going to be Pollyanna-ish and say I hope it is a hopeful news, um, that, that the news will survive and be strong in Canada and remain so. Um, but God, I mean, if I look back just five years and how much has changed in this industry in five years, it's can you how, how can you predict what's going to happen five years down the road? Yeah. Whoever would have thought that McLean's would be monthly. A monthly again, and Canadian business no longer in print. I mean, yeah, the shifts the shifts have been dramatic. The shifts have been dramatic, uh, but there's still a lot of great journalism happening in Canada. I, you, you, when you look at the actual numbers, it's it's easy to get cynical, but look at some of the stuff that's being produced across the country. Um, and as Ian said, the, yeah, there's a, a lot of a lot of great journalism being produced, and still still people in Iqaluit, for example. Yeah. You know what, though? Like, I just I just re- resist the urge to, uh, you know, we can acknowledge the fact that there has been just 
a decimation of the profession uh, to the point where like, what was it, like 300 less reporters at the star than there used to be, that it's never been in sorrier shape without it being any kind of a personal attack on, on the quality of work coming out of the people who are still lucky enough to be working. It's very rough. But, you know, that aside, you know, I think, you know, even to move beyond the digital, I think you know, the world at six newscast on CBC radio, that's a very good news report. It's a mm-hmm. very strong news report mm-hmm. most of the time. Guys, uh, finally, I want to ask you, anybody dare to weigh in on this uh, this current Heritage Committee and this uh, – we also see this uh, coalition of newspapers in Quebec and this growing push for government subsidy or protection for not you guys but for Canadian corporate media. Well, <laughs> something the industry repulsed for years, although sort of took indirectly through the Income Tax Act um, – you know, I, I I guess we can point to the CBC and show what life is like when you rely on government funding, right? I mean, I'm not sure that's uh, – I mean, on journalistic basis, it, it, there's, that seems highly problematic, but I'm also not sure it's the path to nirvana. Jessica? I'm just really curious to read what comes out. I'm really curious to see what they what they do come out with and what what policy prescriptions they put forward. I don't I don't really know what it will be. I mean, I know there's been a lot of talk around increased government funding for the Canadian domestic industry, uh, but who's to say that that's what they're going to propose? Guys, you guys are both in such a good position, Canadians. If there's if there's anything the Canadians like more than news about them, it's news about what other people think about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, they, and they get both of those things at once when they read your stuff. So in, in, a, in, a, in a dangerous terrain, I think you guys are in good spots. We're in a feedback loop. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you both so much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Jesse. That's your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me anytime. I read everything you send me. I respond when I can. And I am at jesse at canadalandshow.com. Our website is canadalandshow.com. And our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. On Tuesday, you can listen to Commons. On Wednesday, there is a special episode of The Imposter, a feature interview, Tanya Tagak, like you have never heard her before. You're going to want to listen to this. And on Thursday, Canada Land Shortcuts. I make this show with Katie Jensen, and we offer Canada Land to community and campus radio stations across this country for free. And that is handled by Russell Gregg. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.